Hey everyone, thank you for listening in and thank you for joining us on the first episode of the Graduates SciComm podcast, where we are trying to explain science in the most hilarious way possible. We have four hosts on our show, and today we are fortunate to have all four of them here, and we're now going to start introducing ourselves. Al, you want to go first? Yeah, thanks, Trent. <clears throat> uh, my name is Al. I am a PhD student currently based uh, in New Zealand, studying marine science, specifically looking at large-scale habitat restoration using mussels and making mussel reefs. What kind of mussels? And, uh, are they body part mussels? Kind of, they, are, are they... they are baby mussels, actually. I am oh. seeing whether or not mm. we can use baby mussels to generate or, or develop habitat on the bottom of the ocean. You took mussels out of babies? Not quite. Uh, we took babies out of the mussel beds, and we are using those in lieu of adults. Because up to oh. this point, yeah, up to this point, adult mussels have been used in the restoration process in New Zealand, and it just hasn't been terribly efficient. So okay, I'm trying to so make the are mussels process like those, a little bit Are better. they kind of like clams, like those things that you can eat at like restaurants? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the mussel species that I'm working with is called the green-lipped mussel. And it's mm -hmm. only found in New Zealand, and it happens to be one of the largest mussels that you can buy on the market. Um, so a lot of people might be, you know, know uh, blue mussels uh, or the Mediterranean mussel that you'd see in maybe a paella or uh, mussel chowder on the East Coast, something along those lines. Uh, very similar, very similar. Uh, but the thing is, we, they've lost a tremendous amount of mussel habitat over the last 100 years or so, and they haven't recovered naturally. And so there's a big push here in New Zealand to try and reestablish this habitat because not only does it serve to regulate water quality because they act as these massive filters, uh, they can actually filter 350 liters of water per day, which I think is cool. pretty fascinating. A single muscle. Amazing. And yeah, and so not only do they regulate water quality, but they also provide habitat for little fishies. Aww, so yeah. it's a, kind of a nice little thing to be working on to try and, uh, to try and regrow on the bottom of the ocean. Not yeah. easy. It's not easy. Sounds good. Yeah. That's what I'm all about. Yeah, Kathleen, what are you doing? You do something with the, the ocean too, right? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is Kathleen Furlish, and I am currently based out of Australia, specifically close to the East Coast, Sydney, at University of Wollongong. There, I am doing my PhD studies, and I'm studying these adorable tiny little fish called coral gobies and as their name implies they live exclusively in corals cool and yeah and they have these very complicated social behaviors now what do i mean by social behaviors yes fish can behave and no they do not have a memory of only five seconds that is a complete lie they actually live in complicated societies that are based on a size hierarchy which means that they have to control their growth to keep themselves in check and to stay peacefully cooperating in a group. Now, the two biggest individuals are the only ones that breed, and all of the other ones wait in line. And if one of the two biggest dies or disappears, the next biggest fish will become the breeding partner of the others. And if any of the lower ranks get too big, they will actually get kicked out of the group. So we want to see how these complicated societies are affected by environmental disturbances, 
such as increasing sea temperature or cyclones, also known as hurricanes. So we're trying to see how that is affected. And potentially, some fish might actually switch to just living in pairs instead of groups. Or, alternatively, they could actually be living in bigger groups. And do either of those have advantages to others? That's the main um, part of research that I'm doing right now. Previously, I started my research career at the University of Texas Brownsville, known as University of Texas Rio Grande Valley now. And that is where all, yeah, that's where all <laughs> four of us hosts actually met. Um, we all started our master's degree there. And now we're all living in different parts of the world. Four different countries, three different time zones. Good night, mate. It's a great way to try and <laughs> manage a podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. a terrible idea. Yeah. How uh, many graduate <laughs> students does it take to start a podcast? At least four. At least four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, I'm Trinity, and I will be here a lot because I uh, am kind of the front runner for this podcast. And I currently live in Florida. It's where I was born and raised. So I'm on the East Coast of the United States. And I did my master's degree in Texas at UTRGV, like my co-host. And I studied, um, wait for it, road mortality. I know you're all bum, very bum, excited. Bum. <laughs> I know you're all very excited about. Oh yes, thank you. I know you're all very excited about this. I know I am. Basically, I want to hear about more dead at... things. <laughs> I, um, I, I look at that stuff. Like, I look at roadkill. And yeah. I do complicated math. And I look at how... Um, look at And basically, I'm trying to see if there are more dead animals um, closer to, like, water bodies or with um, a certain type of fence, like chain link, barbed wire, no fence, or at higher speeds, or near a certain type of habitat, like a forest or a plain, stuff like that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to each of our projects. And we're also going to have, yeah, and we're also going to have some guests come on and talk about their projects. And it's not just going to be the natural sciences. We're also going to have some other people. Like at least one physicist is gonna come and it, talk to us about not a, one. Is physics at not a natural one. science? I thought it broke down by like natural science versus social science. Oh, I don't. I don't know. We'll find it's out. Natural science versus social science versus physics. I think. I think <laughs> physics thinks they're the overlord. No, no, yeah. that's mathematicians. No, 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 that's no. no. You've never talked to a physicist. Uh, you've never talked to a physician before. <laughs> <laughs> You should get that checked out. <laughs> You've never talked to a physicist, I guess. Oh. Yeah. By by the way, audience. By the way, we're 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 just a bunch of friends. So if we go off onto these tangents, it's liable to happen. I think the I think the general public should know that this is just how our dynamic is, and this is what it feels like to be in grad school. Just chaos, chaos all the time, everywhere. Slightly organized, but mainly not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unless you're Kathleen, because I don't know how she does it. I to this day, I don't know how she does it. Yeah, I just attempt to hide yeah. it slightly more. It's fine. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Is do you hide it in your hair, in your beautiful hair, in those curls? Is that where the chaos? Is it like a buffer for the chaos, that you just it just tampers it all down? 
Also, Al is um, a smooth talker and is always trying to um, just kind of schmooze people. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. It's but... worked on me many times. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who, me? <laughs> I didn't even have to meet him before knowing I wanted to live with him. It's true. Oh. It's true. That's another story for another podcast. Yes, that's <laughs> 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 that would be... <laughs> Well, real quick, I think that we should we should also tell the audience this is going to be about you know sort of experience life as a grad student, right? So oh, yeah. part of that, and part grad of that, life. science and grad student life they go in hand in hand, and some of it is just how you lived in a place, how you existed as a graduate student in an environment that wasn't your own, and or some maybe of the how you not know. to do it. Oh yeah, mostly on my end. Uh, <laughs> well, I think I think the answer to the I think. The, the main answer to that is just don't do it. Uh, no. Oh yeah. my gosh, stop it. It's a lot science fun. Is fun. I really like it. <laughs> no, science I is give the it best. a hard science time. Okay, Evan, you're jaded, you... but that's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Evan, why don't you introduce yourself so people know who it is when they hear your little voice? I'm Evan. Uh, much like everyone else here, I also did my master's down in the south of Texas, down in Brownsville. Uh, during that time, I was primarily studying mitochondrial genetics in the what? Black Moo! Moo! Mito- yeah, hard moo. Why did I just mitochondrial moo you? What does moo mean? Okay, so I've been mooed. Um, so, when I think most people have some understanding of what genetics are, right? You get some of your genetics you're basically the code that defines who you are as an individual in a sense you get some of that from your mother you get some of it from your father it's a 50 50 split but this is talking about nuclear genetics this is like homo sapiens humans we all have nuclear genetics that are very definitively like it's kind of a signature of humanity but nuclear radioactive? Nuclear... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like I Maybe am. if you're the Hulk. Um, <laughs> yeah. But many... Or animals in general, along with many other organisms, have a secondary set of genetic material. This is what we call mitochondrial genetics. And this is actually a very small packet of genetics, but it is passed down solely through the mother. And so... My job when studying mitochondrial genetics was basically to identify or ascertain uh, broad lineages in these black-spotted newts. Because at the time, there was some question whether there was two different subspecies, and that's a question of how do we define that for a completely different podcast, um, and how these different subspecies or the species as a whole relates to others that are close related. So that was broadly what I did down there. Using that, I was also able to identify uh, geographic ranges. So basically the area in which these salamanders or these newts were present uh, in Texas. Now, what's a newt? Yeah, what is that? Okay. So, a newt is a... <laughs> I... I'm imagining his face just falling. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, this like, is... Like, I have newt. I have newt? 
This is yeah. fair because I. This is fair because I've, no joke, been asked what an amphibian is before. Um, so it's got two lives, right? Yes. Yeah, so, am I am I going with I'm okay? I'm going to real quickly. Amphibian is a specific group of animals that has generally very distinct life stages. One in the water, and then as they mature, as they grow up they leave the water and become terrestrial. And then when they are breeding, they go back into the water. So that's, frog. That, that's amphibian. Oh for... my gosh, you're right, Hal. It is a lizard frog. Oh my gosh, it's it not a lizard. lizard. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> People, this is what happens when you, by the way, when you challenge a, a herpetologist. This is something that you, everybody will learn. Is that Evan, my man Evan, is a diehard herpetologist and will will never ever stop being one because herpers gonna herp. Herpers gonna herp. Herpers gonna herp. All right. Herps are reptiles and amphibians, by the way. Yep. Yes. By the way. Uh, we can we can discuss that another point because some issues there. Anyways, um, Newt, <laughs> Newt, I was, I, Herper's gonna hurt. I was first called out on Newt and then it went to amphibian and then anyways. So a Newt is a very specific group of salamanders. So a Newt is to a salamander as a tortoise is to a turtle or an alligator is to a crocodile. It's, they're very closely related it's basically just a very refined subset of the broader group. So in this case, the newts down in Texas are very closely related to eastern newts, which can be found all across the eastern North America. So United States and Canada, basically central to coast, or the eastern coast. Anyways, that was my master's. I hadn't even left my master's discussion yet before I got mood. Okay. That's okay, but I do want to point out that, you know, I get that people don't, you know, people don't get sometimes what, we, what we're studying. People think that, some people think that muscles are rocks, so I have to deal with that. Oh, yeah. Um, but they're, they're living, much like uh, Kathleen's corals, they're living. Yeah, I've been no. cut by muscle before. There you go. It was, See? It was awful. I'm... It came at you, didn't it? I'm just I, getting. I bled a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting flustered. It's fine. I actually lost At my to I lost my toenail to a coral when I was in Hawaii once. Anyways, wow. that's a random story. Um, that's intense. So. So what do you do for your PhD? <laughs> yeah. So for my PhD, I moved all the way up to Ontario, Canada, and I am now studying Thanks. the genetics of a another group of salamanders that we refer to as the unisexual complex. That's no. the name of the salamander? That is no. the name of the group. It is, no. as you can imagine, it is very complicated. You can That's, think of... Can I just really quick interject? Unisexual complex sounds like every grad student ever. Like, just their, their, their existence in graduate school. Being, being in so, graduate school that. is a complex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, to make it less complicated for now, you can think of this whole group as a hybrid system. So, they are all females, but they breed with up to five different species. 
depending on where Wait. they are located. This one species breeds with five up to five other different species. Yes. That's crazy. What? Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Luckily for me, How's I that unisexual because they're all female. The group. Oh, it, oh you said that. Yeah. You said that. yeah. So the group is entirely female, and we know that they are all related. This comes back to my master's work because of mitochondrial genetics. They all have the same female genetic wow. material, and mm. it's present in all of them. And so Amazing. even though yeah, even though they breed with all of these other species, that mitochondrial genetics is passed on from mother to offspring. That's and weird, yeah. It is. And that's that not the so weirdest cool. part. So luckily for me, the area that I study, I'm only having to deal with this group breeding with two different species. And that's it. Luckily, I don't have to deal with three or five even. But even yeah. with just that, it's a major challenge to try to do genetic work on them because genetic stats that we would normally do, they don't make sense for this group. Genetic stats as in statistics? Yes, genetic statistics. So this would be like, we often can think of like a environment having a community of different species. You know, you've got your salamanders, your frogs, your lizards, things like that. But another form of diversity would be genetic diversity. This is another area that's sort of that has been taking off gradually over the past two decades or so. The understanding that we can measure diversity within a single species, even within a single population of that species. I think going more into detail on this will be challenging for this first episode. I'll have to wait for my specific episode to go into far more detail. Yeah, actually, that's a really great segue into um, part of our purpose of doing this podcast is that science is really intimidating and for lots of reasons. And one of the reasons is ridiculous words, like almost everything that Evan just said. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> like the whole it, his whole PhD really. It it comes his with the territory, PhD. and you know, much like Trinity was saying, along with all these difficult difficult words, we've also got statistics that we have to deal with, and I know a lot of people don't like math, or so, are scared of it, or are scared of it. Yes, I Which just I still yeah I, no, yeah I I just taught uh, yesterday a group of undergraduates, and I had to go. St- through like basic multiplication systems with them because well because you know the statistics that are involved have all these fancy terms but you Mm. break it down and it's just it's not that hard when you break it down yeah so that's part of the issue for our listeners i do want to say that i do know phds people that have their doctorate degree in science that are scared of math so it's true don't feel bad yeah it's, it's true. not just it's, you. Yeah. Most of us are really just scrambling to figure out what the heck we just saw, trying to explain it with numbers. And 100%. It's way, way more difficult than, than people think, I think. It, it might seem simple. I mean, I think that we all get down on ourselves, too. And this one goes out to the grad students listening to the show. We all get down on ourselves because we think we should be able to solve a silly problem that's really simple. But then sometimes you can spend two weeks and not you know completely misunderstand it or com- be using the wrong test and not know it or three so, months 
months like or I three did months or you know three years but um, oh. you know oh yeah, yeah. There's that oh too. no there's that too oh man but that's that's why we're calling each other out with the moo when we moo mm -hmm. each other because we just we have to catch ourselves when we're doing it because part of what we're doing here we're trying to do is we're trying to give regular people science straight from the horse's mouth so that anyone can understand it yep now we also are going to ask simple questions for you so you don't have to we don't know everything and have narrow areas of expertise in the grand scheme of things for sure i have no idea what eva does and yeah, i'm a same. terrestrial person so like i do land work but and the other two people are marine people so they do stuff in the ocean i don't know what that is yeah can, we, I, can I, I pause too ocean. and say can we say too that when we're in our specific disciplines even within those disciplines we don't know most of what's going on i mean oh, no. i might be i might be a marine scientist but i i don't i don't understand like you know the intricacies of fisheries or fisheries management or you know the biology of kathleen's fish for example way above my head Muscles? I could tell you a ton about muscles. Could tell you a ton about muscle habitat. Outside of that, pretty dumb. Yeah, my. We're not dumb. We just don't know. In high school. Yeah, there school, we go. That's a good. That's a good way to look at it. In high school, my bio teacher had a great way of putting it, where he basically explained to us if this room that we're sitting in is the total extent of knowledge on biology, we know a thimbleful of that entire room. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So not a lot. So don't down on yourself. It is what it is. Yeah. We're doing our best. It is what it's it is. fine. You're but if we don't know student. an answer, we will tell you that we don't know. And oh, that's absolutely. most of the time. Yeah. We're not going to make it up most of the time. No. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or we can look it up. <laughs> yeah, we might look yeah. it up. A quick that's really answer. what grad school... Grad school is really just figuring out how to use Google. Oh, yeah, and just kind of figuring out how to learn for real. Yeah, yeah, on our own. It's part of being an adult, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also know that science is snooty, right? So we're here to bring some fun into the equation. So I think we should, what do you guys think if we just tell some hilarious fieldwork stories? I think that would, oh, I think people would it. enjoy those. I'll yeah. you go first. We know you, you have some of the first? best stories. Yeah, you go first. I have some I have some fun ones. Which ones should I do though? I mean I got so many. I don't know what's appropriate for right now. Does that make you a good scientist? If you have so many fieldwork fails? I'm just saying. It's yeah. not yes. fails, it's just fieldwork <laughs> stories. Okay. Just, okay. Some are fails, you some are stories. Some are stories. I think you should tell the story of the toilet. Oh my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> All right, so sometimes this is a bit long-winded. This is a bit long-winded. There's many layers to the story as we were discussing off uh, off the podcast. So, when I was in Texas, we did uh, quite a bit of work out in the Gulf of Mexico. And like Kathleen said, we dove out on these man-made structures, these artificial reefs, a lot of some of which were actually old oil platforms, oil oil exploration, you know, that they did out in the Gulf. Um, they sort of left out there and became this incredible habitat for tons and tons of fish and coral. And so there was always a lot to see. And so one of these days, we got hired by a, or we got uh, hired to go out and conduct some research on one of these platforms by a group from a university up north of us. And 
we had to get to the boat at like maybe five o'clock in the morning and before it was even sun out yeah. load everything up and of course we got thrown into this about 24 hours beforehand is when we were told we were going to do this naturally typical typical so we get out there we load everything up it's about a two or three hour ride out to the uh, out to the area we're doing it the seas are choppy at one point in time in order for us to maintain sort of our position we had to lasso the actual reef the actual um, oil platform uh, which is a fellow grad student Ethan uh, he threw a buoy over and managed to snag it and so they're out there bobbing in the middle of the ocean you know things are starting to heat up but we need to get this work done and throughout the day there's just gaff after gaff but luckily we're in the water we get to go dive this incredible spot our uh, our lovely advisor is there as well, and uh, he's kind of he's he's a little sad because he's not getting to dive. And if there's anybody there's anybody that like needs to be in the ocean to function as a human being, it's this man. And um, and so he's being he's the he's the captain, and so he's just not allowed to dive. He he has to stay on the boat and watch everything, make sure everything's okay. And so we get to dive, but we're also a little bit grumpy because he, you know, we didn't have much notice, and it's a really long day. And there's plenty of other t tangents that I can go on this story. But basically, what you, the audience, need to know is that we got to dive. It was a beautiful day, and despite the fact that we had to work really hard, we had a lot of fun. And uh, and so that was kind of a that was that was a nice way to uh, that was that was a nice addition to 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 the sort of trials of getting out there. So anyway, fast forward, uh, it gets late, and of course we push it to the limits, and we have to come back at night. And so we're navigating the ship channel, and it's already been a good 16-hour day, and we get back, and we're getting off the boat. We're both a little grumpy, because Ethan and I, because we just we had to work so long. And our advisor comes out, and he just looks completely dejected. And I'm saying he, I've never seen this guy look so tired and just beaten up. I don't, you know, at this point in time, we're grumpy enough with him that we think it's okay. Like, <laughs> it's a, you, you can, you can be grumpy. We'll remember we're okay everyone. With that. It's okay to be upset with your advisor. It is okay to be upset with your advisor. He's one of my, he's one of my good friends these days. So, uh, you know, things went well, but, uh, but so we, you know, he looks dejected and he, he comes up to us and he goes, yeah, well, you guys were. Well, you guys were underneath, uh, you know, having a good dive and, and stuff. Well, there was a, uh, well, there was a craft fountain. The uh, turns out, well, we were underwater. One of the pipes on the boat burst and started spewing just raw sewage. And let me tell you, we made sure we used the toilet that day because it was an 18-hour day. So both Ethan and I looked at each other and said and thought, we don't feel sorry for you right now. So if you can imagine being on a rocky boat in a confined space with the pipe burst and raw sewage seeping out, that's what this man's day had to deal with. And really at that point in time, even though we didn't feel sorry, we felt we got even. So that was uh, that was more of a rough story for him than it was for us. But yeah, so. You know, I, I think yeah. I can remember you, I remember the night you came back home from that event. Yep. I mean, I was, I didn't smell bad. He might've smelled bad, but, uh, that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite, that was quite the debacle oh on the Vollert, which we should dedicate a whole episode to the boat, the, the, our research vessel, the Vollert. 
The vomit. Oh yeah. The vomit yeah. comet. I think so. Everybody the has stories. Comet. Yeah, I don't seriously. actually. Oh, That's Evan right. never made it out. Yeah, I never, I never went out with you. I did go on the vol art a few times, but I never went with you guys. I mean, that was mainly. I think you pictures. modeled. I think yeah. I think Evan was a male model on the vol art. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. Yeah, bit, yeah. It's not hard. He's such a babe. Oh. Okay. People, oh, yeah. people, people, people get there and they get their feet stuck. It's <laughs> <laughs> exact. It's an accurate. You all know that's an accurate depiction. <laughs> Oh, man, it is. Okay, yeah. so, um, <laughs> okay, so one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me on my, um, road mortality surveys, which is essentially me driving around in a truck looking for roadkill, dead animals on the side of the road. Um, one time we found a brown pelican that was alive, but it was stuck on the road. It would, it could not fly. It kept trying to, like, fly up in the air and then it kept crashing and pelicans are really bad at flying which is unfortunate because they're uh birds are they bad at flying or are they bad at taking off they're bad at taking off they're they're good uh, at gliding yeah oh. there we go <laughs> there we go sorry i'm sorry guys sorry brown pelicans it's and... okay caleb caleb would be upset caleb would yeah. be disappointed we have a we have a we have a bird scientist friend and he's very he's a bird he's not a he's just a bird yeah he's just that's a bird true. that's true he is a bird all right well anyways so this bird this pelican is trying to get off the road we're trying to help it as best we can me and my undergrad avon and avon's amazing and hopefully she'll be a guest on here because everybody loves avon oh, and... yeah she is she's my um, favorite yeah i think we all she's have a small crush on her I'm pretty sure it's, I, it's I do. Accurate. I do want to point out that I was the reason that she was in the Klein lab. So yeah, all right, all I'm gonna right. take that. I'm gonna take uh, that. I was the one that paid her money, though. So so Fair you're enough. the reason she stayed. <laughs> I was the one that may or may not have lost her on a dive, uh, on her like second dive <laughs> oh in the field. Gosh. At any rate, we could uh, another. She <laughs> was recovered. We were. Day. We did find her. Yeah. <laughs> alive. Alive. We lost her. She. <laughs> she's around. Hi, Yvonne. We love you. We miss you. Love you. Okay. Anyways, so Yvonne and I are trying to help this bird, and we call a pelican researcher that is in a town not super far away from where we were, trying to like talk to her. She's like, "Okay, well, this is how you catch a pelican. This is how you hold a pelican, and because it's very, you have to be very careful that they don't suffocate because they're also bad at breathing." <laughs> and <laughs> I'm serious, guys. You can't hold their beak shut, otherwise they just don't breathe. That um, seems like an evolutionary disadvantage. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, okay. <laughs> so, We're not bird people. It's not. It's not my job. Um, so. We're trying, we call the, we call the rangers to, um, like a park ranger because we were near some parks. They came. One of them came actually. He's this little man. I was kind of disappointed that he wasn't Chuck Norris because, you know, it was Texas. <laughs> Great guy. We're trying to catch him. We're trying to catch this bird, not not the guy. We're trying to catch the bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would have been able to catch the guy if you wanted, though. He had cowboy boots on. He wasn't going to run that fast. Um, <laughs> but, so, we're having issues catching this stupid bird. And we're trying to make sure that it doesn't die because it just got off the protected species list. And... 
He's like, all right, I'm gonna lasso him. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Texas turn a story could take. I know. Oh I was like, I really am in Texas right now. Um, yep. So he went to his car and he got a lasso out and as uh, as or, you do, as one does. Does he and just, does he just he like said, lasso animals just for fun? I don't. I don't know. You don't. That's that's no. a Texas thing. Oh, I don't. Oh, that's true. You're a, you're a goby wrangler. You're a goby wrangler. Yeah, oh I mean, gosh. I I lassoed lizards. Oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Um, but he he like he successfully lassos this pelican, and he's trying to really gently um, like tighten up the lasso to be able to handle the bird. But birds have delicate bones, so he was trying to be, you know, polite and delicate. And the the, Did he the ask pelican... for permission first. He's polite. Yeah, he I was gonna say. <laughs> where's the where's the consent? Is he a two-second gentleman? <laughs> yeah. It's a bird. <laughs> um. So this pelican just slinks on out of this lasso in a way that I did not think a bird could move. It just kind of wow. like did like a weird dance move and then just like slid on out of there. <laughs> yeah, he just he just slinked on out of there, and we never caught him. He eventually was caught by the the pelican researcher because she actually you know knew what she was doing. Knew how and to lasso a pelican. She did not lasso the pelican. He <laughs> he eventually found his way to a pole of a fence post oh. and just sat oh, okay. there, and we thought he was safe, so he was. I mean, to be fair, pelicans do that on the regular, right? Like if you ever on the reg. On the reg, if you ever have some kind of post, you're by the beach, you look up, you think it's a statue, but really it's just a pelican looking at you, probably trying it's to true. analyze, walking all weird, trying to it's analyze really people, you. Are, you know, judging you. Pelicans exactly. are graceful creatures. Listen, pelicans like are graceful, are beauty. They so, are kind of judgy, aren't they? So graceful. <laughs> they can as... be graceful. They yeah. can be judgy. Not as judgy graceful. as cats. Not as judgy That's, as cats. Cats so. are very judgy. That is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we all know it. Tiffany, we're talking to you right now. <laughs> By the way, really quick plug here. If you ever find roadkill or you find an injured animal on the road or next to the road, look onto Google, find your local wildlife rescue hotline, give them a call, and they will be able to either advise you what to do or they will call and reinforce them have people come mm -hmm. and that happened to me actually recently i am in australia i did drive on the side of the road we saw what i think was a kangaroo that was laying there didn't look too great and so we called the hotline and they were able to send somebody out there to take a look at the animal Ooh, yeah kangaroo yeah. that would be nicely done that would be very dangerous yeah. to run across yeah they're feisty. karma karma points yeah <laughs> mm. um okay. i ran over an alligator couple months ago on what? accident. Oh no. Because you're what? from Florida. <laughs> Swamp kitten. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a baby alligator. It was midnight. It was raining. It was in the middle of the road. I think it had been hit by the car that was in front of me and so I didn't see it until it was too late. But he real dead, so Oh. Did it make a noise? It it wow. sounded very wow. much like an alligator. No, it just that... was really hard sounding when um, I drove over it. Yeah, that would be. We ran exciting. over an iguana once and spun it into the windshield of our friend's car. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's Central America for you. Oh. Oh man. 
So something yeah, you will all roads. get to learn about Al is he is a very traveled individual. Stories from all over the place. In like one time zone. Be older than he says that he is. I think he might actually Ooh. be an immortal. You might be right. Well, I plan to live forever, and so far, so good. <laughs> A little homage to Stephen Wright right there. Get out. I mean, he says that he grows, he says that he's doing research on muscles for restoration, but really, maybe he's just trying to study their lifespan capabilities. I'm building an maybe, army. Yeah. I'm yeah, building a muscle he, army. Mm, yes. I mean, he says that they are shelled animals, but he's talking about yeah. muscles, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Building a standing army, as it were. So, mm, they're not going to go gosh. anywhere. They're going to sit in one spot. You're welcome. Yep. Be mossy. Can't wait to see the terracotta figures of those. <laughs> yep. So mossy. So mossy. I love muscle. I'll become the real Aquaman. Yeah, you're welcome. At any what? rate. Yeah. Chris Momoa did a great job. Fight me. Oh my god. Get out of here. Get, get all right. A podcast is over. Okay. Let's okay. Okay. No no, no. 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 Okay. So, uh, let's continue. Uh, Kathleen. <laughs> Kathleen, do you have any uh, stories for us? She has oh, many. Do I have some stories? Well, I have some great stories that involve. Well, I have some that involve a few of you with field work, but this time I will just focus on a story, which is quite a fail, honestly, on my own personal part. I'm not this quite the angel I think I am. Yeah. I like to think that I'm organized. I like to think that I'm prepared. But then these things happen and they remind me I'm just human as everybody else. So my story also involves not only field work, but some slight play with police. What? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, for my research night? back. No, oh. this is not girls night. Let's that not is... get into that. <laughs> Let's talk into that. Um, <laughs> so what happened here was back in Texas, I was doing my master's degree, and this was actually before any of the other three hosts had moved to Texas. It was me, Rachel, Andres, a couple other students, and we were doing research. And my research involved looking at concrete reefs. So these are reefs made of concrete cylinders that you oftentimes find in piping. They're quite non-toxic. They're excellent material to put down at the bottom of the ocean because a lot of organisms will grow on them and live around them. And so we wanted to look at, we wanted to do surveys of fish. Surveys, I mean, we were just pretty much writing down everything that we saw. And then we also wanted to focus on one fish specifically called the red snapper. It is the fourth most important industry in fisheries in the Gulf of Mexico, and if you have ever seen a red snapper or tasted red snapper, it's quite delicious meat. The fish can grow up to a meter in length, potentially, and they are big, schooling species. So you, if you see one, you will see a whole bunch of fish swimming along together. We want, were interested in seeing how these artificial concrete reefs were affecting populations of red snapper. Quick, long story short, we find that these fish live on artificial reefs, and so artificial reefs are great to increase populations of red snapper. But that aside, let's focus on my fieldwork though, which is very relevant. Um, can, I, can I interject really quick, though? Can I really, yeah. really quick? I'm so sorry. They don't necessarily aid in production of stocks. We have to, we, let's just address that. That yes, might be... Do. Yes, they that, do. That might be... They have been found to reproduce, 
That's not Trigon's debate. That debate has been put to bed. Okay, a couple so years that's, ago. That's, that's, a, that's a different episode. No, let's not. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna get some heated okay. fish debate here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something seems fishy. Yeah. As I mentioned, red snapper are really important species when we look at artificial reef management. And I wanted to see how big these fish were on different sizes of reefs. So in my lab, we created this laser apparatus, which is this almost meter long metal rod. And we attached lasers spaced equally apart on this metal rod. Um, and so they were roughly a, almost a foot apart from one another from either side. And then I brought these lasers underwater and we were able to point them at fish and then record it from video and we were able to actually figure out exactly the length of each fish. Now, lasers themselves, underwater lasers, can be quite hard to make and so we obviously had to get that made by another company. Um, and then we constructed the apparatus and we started using it, which was great. At the beginning, the fish just kept swimming away if I ever pointed the lasers at them. <laughs> no, come back, I need for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, come back to me, please. Um, so that was quite a workaround. We finally figured out if you point the lasers at sand, the fish will swim to it. And then you can just really quickly point the laser at them and figure out how big they are. So you can't so... just swim around and point lasers at fish. It doesn't work. You can't just do that because they just swim I just away. Want frickin', I just want freaking snapper with freaking laser beams on their freaking heads. Exactly. <laughs> so is, is this where the term catfish came from? Oh. The, the name catfish, rather? They just want to chase the laser? To be oh. fair, I have used oh. the same. Yeah. That was a oh, that was layer. I like that. Good pun. <laughs> good pun. We should have an animal noise for a good pun and an animal noise for a bad pun. We just need to record. Yeah. We just need to record Caleb doing random so sounds. Yeah, I think Caleb's peacock, <clears throat> specifically. <laughs> so, anyways, we're gonna die what? later because of this. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna come and murder all of us. <laughs> Fly across Poor the Caleb. world to get each and every one of us. He will. Oh. It's not. It's not. He he knows how to. It's true, he does. He's a bird. Yeah, he's a bird. He can fly. <laughs> so anyways, back to <laughs> using lasers underwater, guys. We're going to use them underwater yep. for these purposes, right? Um, so I finally figured out how to actually use the lasers to measure red snapper, which is great. But then, you know, things could happen in regards to prepping for field work. And you might not even be able to do your experiment. So what happens was I was, I had all of my gear ready my supervisor was going to come and pick me up. So I'm sitting on the curb. I've got the laser next to me. I've got my dive equipment. I've got my all my meals prepped for the whole day because like I mentioned, you can have a full day up to 16 hours on the boat and then you just come back. So, you did make the best you know, meals. Comes, yeah. I mean, you know, you have to prepare as much food as you can and delicious food to get you excited about eating on the boat. That's right. Or or to feed other grad students who may have forgotten their lunch or, you know. Yep. Or lost it oh, yep. overboard did somehow. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. You know Do you know maybe? of anybody? I don't. Oh, yeah. Not you? off the top of my... Uh, you currently? 
Or I never forgot mine when going on the boat. You didn't eat lunch, Evan. You barely ate. <laughs> okay, that, I know. that's not where I was going with it, but okay. You can yeah. keep you also didn't go on the wallet. <laughs> there we okay, go. Sorry. Thank you, you Kathleen. <laughs> Kathleen, you were getting ready to go on the wallet. I'm sorry. Right, so... <laughs> no, that's right. Um, so I finally... I'm waiting on the side of the curb. I get picked up by my supervisor. We drive half hour, 40 minutes to the dock. We get all our scuba gear together. We get on the boat. Usually you have to kind of tinker with the boat, get it all fixed up. Could be half hour to an hour every morning. Used to be before you guys actually came. It was like every day. Anywhere from a half hour to two hours even. We would just be tinkering on the boat, getting it ready to go. Or five hours. Yeah. Or five hours. Yep. Or anyways, finally get on the boat and we're making our way. It's great. We have about two hours to sit on the boat and wait until we get to the field site, which... I usually, you know, attempt to take a nap during this time, but as I'm laying there, ready to take a nap, all of a sudden it dawns on me, where is the laser apparatus? Oh, 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 oh no. no. <laughs> I don't tell anybody yet because I'm trying to kind of figure out, you know, I'm thinking like, where could it be? I search where I usually put it, which is like on a shelf close to the life jackets. I search under people. I tell people to move so I can check under drawers. I check everywhere in my bag. It's now like a solid hour into the drive on the boat. We're only like an hour from the site. And then I officially realized that as an idiot, I must have forgotten the laser and not brought it on the boat. Kathleen, so, how much did each of these boat trips cost, by the way? Well, Maybe we could throw that they in. They were like 1000 to $1,500 each. Each trip? Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a few different parts to my research project, and so I just didn't. And my friend Rachel had her own research to do at the same side, so fortunately, we were able to do most of the tasks, right? But still, mm -hmm. this means I will have to at least do one other trip so that I can collect enough data for the laser measurements. Such a huge fail. Um, fail. We finally... Yeah, and of course my supervisor is not happy about this, as as am I. <laughs> also frustrated. I'm quite frustrated with myself. He's a bit annoyed as well, but science is what science is, and it is what it is. It's so true. we finally get yeah we finally get back to the dock, get back home. It's of course dark, late. Um, we're all exhausted, and I search the dock i searched the locker where we have all our dive gear can't find it in there i'm like okay well i must have just left it at home get back home finally i'm like ready to pass out half the time honestly i'm so tired i'm too easy to shower half the time i just kind of just like lay on the ground and just fall asleep there because i'm just too easy to shower seeing as i'm still missing like the laser apparatus yeah well i realize okay well i can't just like take a nap right now i need to actually look for this thing so I'm looking everywhere. I just like toss around my house, my apartment, can't find it anywhere. And then I realize, you know what? I think I remember I had it on the street while I was waiting. No. I was like, oh, yeah. So, I, excuse me. So, oh shoot. I go outside and I can't find it anywhere. Nowhere. I go to the office, the main office because these are dorms that I live in. Nothing. And then I realize, well, lost and found would have probably been brought to the police. All right, so I call the police station. I try to explain what this is without confusing them because, you know, you say this is a metal thing roughly a meter in length and it has lasers on it. What does everybody yep. think about when you're in Texas? Oh, uh, a gun. A gun, right? So 
They're all, they sound quite 100%. On the phone. They're a bit skeptical of what I'm trying to explain. I'm saying I swear it's for science. They are. <laughs> <laughs> Something a super villain would say. I'm yeah, a exactly. A really like, yeah, a forgetful super villain. So, anyways, uh, I'm like, okay, well, um, we decide, you know, they're still suspicious, but they say, why don't you come into the office tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., and we can resolve this issue, right? So I'm like, okay, great. I try my best to fall asleep that night. Obviously, at least I'm pretty sure they kind of suggest that they have the laser apparatus. But obviously they're still suspicious. So they're not just like, yep, we have this thing. So I go in 8 a.m., go to the front desk, you know. Again, we have to, a quick important note here. We do live on the Mexican border. The Mexican border is a five-minute walk from the university. So, of course, their suspicions could potentially be warranted. Although that is a whole other issue because <laughs> right now our U.S. government Especially... is not properly dealing with the Mexican-American situation. <laughs> But, yeah. We're not here to talk about politics, though. No. This is a science podcast. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I finally, I go into the office, and I'm like, hey, you know, my, name, my name's Kathleen Forlick. I did bring along, was it my laptop? I brought something along to show what the laser apparatus was used for, so they're a little bit less skeptical. And I explained to them, I left this metal rod with three lasers on it on the side of the road. Definitely and... not a super weapon. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a super weapon. I swear it's for science. And I think I showed them some pictures of me using the lasers on fish. I think is what I did. And they, they're like, okay, okay, well, let's go check. So they go back. And then one of them pops their head out. And he's like, I think I have what you are looking for. But again, he's a bit suspicious because, right, it looks a bit obscure, this object. So I finally, he brings it out. <laughs> He says, okay, well, tell me how to use it. Because, of course, I'm not supposed to, like, he doesn't automatically just let me hold it. Especially not if it's a laser gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta make sure it's safe. Exactly. So I tell him to turn it on. All the three lasers are turned on. And then he can see the lasers are parallel. And he kind of just points it at stuff. And he sees it's harmless. So we end up, you know, laughing it off in the end. And I do actually explain to him my research project. And he gets excited because he himself has eaten some red snapper before. So he actually does become interested, which is a great opportunity, but it did start off quite unsuccessful in the beginning and was kind of suspicious interaction. You went yeah. from, uh, from, from, Terrorist. from forgetting it. Yeah, I was going to say forgetting your thing on the side of the road to like almost creating an international incident. I would not say it was that extreme. I think you guys are, you're not going to put words in my mouth. It would have, it still would have been, it still would have been within borders. That's oh, fair. Yeah, so it was from, it's fine, guys. Yeah. It just would have been fine. a Texas thing. It's I mean, a oh, Texas. <laughs> I mean, in West Palm Beach, which is where I went to my undergrad um, at Palm Beach Atlantic University, uh, go selfish, I suppose. Um, they were playing humans versus zombies, and everyone had uh, oh Nerf gun. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Nice. And SWAT got called because some people, I presume elderly, because it's West Palm in South Florida, drove by and saw some people running around with what they saw were guns and we weapons. weapons and so SWAT came fair enough yep um but anyways it's that is what it is those young hooligans <laughs> evan what's your story man 
All right. So my story um, is also going to be taking place down in Texas. And it's actually my story of one of my very first field outings down there. So for this story, actually, one of our co-hosts was present with me at the time. uh, Oh, man. Al. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this already. Oh, man. Um, Uh, You know, I might need to find the recording of this because it's too good. I really hope you can. So this field site that we're going to, it's a bit out of the way. It's a bit out there from Brownsville where the university is. So we drive out and let's see, there was a group of, I think it was six of us. Let's see, it was our advisor, his wife. I had two undergrads with us, uh, Al, (laughs) myself, and Clint. Clint is uh, curator of the herpetarium at the Gladys Porter Zoo down in Brownsville. And he went out... Another herpetologist. Yep, another herpetologist. (laughs) And we did a lot of good herping down there. This was one of our first meetings and one of the first times he and I actually did some herping together. It was very unconventional. Yeah, it was very unconventional herping, as it turns out. We're going out there, we're driving in the field truck, and this was the original field truck, which was this big red 4x4, very disheveled old vehicle that, I don't know, did it actually survive our full tenure while we were down there? It did. Uh, it, it did? did? Now, okay. Wait, can I, like, can we paint the scene a little bit about, like, Laguna Atascosa and the whole, like, the area and where the environment that we're driving into? Yeah, so so this whole area, it's kind of like savanna-y, brush scrub, so a lot of thorny plants, uh, cacti present, and really, what was it, they call them, like, sword palms, so really short, stubby... Uh, Spanish lances? Spanish lances, uh, yeah. Spanish bayonet. That one. It had a bunch of different names, I think. Anyways, a lot of sharp plants out there, ready to stab us. Um, really flat. Very flat, and a lot of grass covering the place. So, actually, just before we got to this field site, there was a snake that uh, slithered across the road right in front of us, and as Clint is one to do, he immediately stopped and jumped out to go grab it. Um but that's not the story. As if he doesn't do that on the daily. Well, yeah, at the okay, that's... I didn't know the snakes down there at the time. I hadn't completely gotten there. It was non-venomous, so it was all safe. Anyways, that's not the whole story. Um, I think the story should be about Clint grabbing his snakes, though. Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty <laughs> there's there's many we could do with that as well. Um, well, he's, he plays a pivotal role in, in the story coming up, so go on. Yes, he does. So, we're driving up, or we're at Atascosa. It's this large nation, or national wildlife reserve, and there's one body of water in particular that we're going to. Historically, it was known to have the newts, the animals I was studying at the time. So, we were going to go out there and try to see if we could find any. As we pull up and get out of the truck, we look down into the pond and realize, oh, hey, there's an alligator in there. And some people might be wondering, like, wait, there are alligators down in South Texas? Yes. Yes, there are. Yep. Good times. So... Biggins. Yeah. So we get down, we see the alligator, but it's just one, and a little bit of trivia, alligators are not nearly as aggressive as crocodiles, and so, in this case, if we 
since we were still on the land, she was just very cautious and watching us. So there was a group of three. It was our advisor, one of my undergrads, and Al walked around the pond to the opposite side. And so while they were back there, they were going to be collecting some water samples for us. When they get down and collect some of that water, we begin to realize there's a second alligator in the water, and it's a large male. So all of a sudden, we come to terms with the situation that we are a group of people surrounding a relatively small water body with a breeding pair of alligators. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so when this happens, when we come to recognize this, the second undergrad and our advisor's wife jump into the bed of the truck and start shouting to the group on the opposite side of the water to come back for reasons, I suppose. Yeah. For some reason, our advisor at this point decides to take the other path around. Now, mind you, the I'm whole... I'm there. I'm with him, by yeah. the way. I'm with... I'm, yeah, yeah. The, the whole point of describing the thorn scrub we mentioned earlier, the cacti and these sharp plants, is because that's exactly the sort of plants that our advisor decided to try to walk through at this point. <laughs> so he he and... So the three of them walk through this and these are kind of shorter plants. They're having to like duck down and kind of crawl their way through. Our undergrad was amazing. He managed to keep that water sample... Uh, without spilling wait, wait. it the entire time. Do, do you want to explain what the water sample was be, was contained? No. In? The uh, the you don't want to explain oh, the high what it was contained apparatus? in. Okay. Yeah. Yes, this high quality apparatus was. I believe it was just a water bottle we found at the site, wasn't no, it? No, it was a Starbucks cup. It, it was, was a Starbucks, Starbucks cup. cup. Oh, without okay. A lid. Yeah. Without a lid. That he's holding on to. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why we had a Starbucks cup without a lid, and oh. why we chose that to sample the other side of this little kidney lake pond thing. Yeah, worry, yeah, that, that was the that was the name of yeah. it. It was Kidney Pond. Sometimes you got to improvise in science, you know. If you forget you something, do. while this group is coming back with our water sample, Clint and I are out on the road in front of the truck, and we recognize and we notice all of a sudden there's a third, larger male alligator. <laughs> In the middle of the road in front of us. And Wait, where is it? it? It's mouth pointed? Do we want to talk about where its mouth was pointed? So, so just a moment. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. The, the group of intrepid scientists coming back through heavy thorn scrub are all of a sudden, we've come to realize, stuck between a mating pair of alligators and a third <laughs> larger male coming in to oh, take no. over. All of a sudden, no. the three of them are... I, don't, I didn't actually see you guys at this point. I assume you, like, had to stop and just wait for things to die down because the two male alligators were bellowing at each other at this point. And I can only imagine what was going through everyone's head because it's ominous to first just hear this very ancient guttural sound of an alligator yep. bellowing and yep. then to be stuck between two large male alligators doing this in a aggressive fashion well yep. that's that's a bit of an issue um it's a no yep. from me dog 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's a bit of a no. Like even even so, the two herpetologists there at the time were just like, I don't want to be there right now. Um, yep. At we this... almost walked right into its face too. Yeah. I, think. I went and scouted. I went and scouted. What? And uh, they're like, Al. I was like, I yelled at the group, and they're like, Al, what do you see? And I said, I do remember. I said, That's the biggest effing gator I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clint and I noticed this, and in the background, when Al is commenting and trying to figure out what to do, we're hearing our advisor. We we dubbed it the Kliggle in that moment, I believe, uh, giving his yeah. very like. Oh no fear... no the Kliggle the Kliggle had been a thing before. It had long been a thing. Then. Okay, yeah, it's it's kind of his like worried giggle that he does. Oh, yeah. It's like doc yeah. it's like Dr. Hibbert on The Simpsons when he delivers really bad news but then like giggles afterwards. <laughs> That's the Kliggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in order to try to save our intrepid helpers, uh Clint and I decide to go up to this alligator, remember, full grown male bellowing at another male for reproductive mm. rights. Or in order it's to at least like 15 or 16 foot long gator, right? Oh, I don't think it was quite that long. Um, it felt like it was like 20 feet long. Th it was four years ago, so memory may be uh, extending I mean, it. Would be it. Kind of, it would be really, really significant if it was a 20 foot gator. Yeah, it I don't think... It might have been like 30, 30, 35 feet long, actually, All right, now that yeah. I think about it. So... Four years later, right? <laughs> Every year it grows five feet. Uh, yeah. So... In order to make sure that everyone gets back safely, Clint and I decide, you know what, we have to distract this thing. Um, oh, my God. So, yeah. Yep. We walk up behind it and basically just start mildly kicking its tail in order to <laughs> I believe, distract it. I believe it. you started, I believe it was the croc, uh, it was the alligator slap. Well, uh, I thought he was slapping the tail. Are you Floridians? No, we're not. Neither of us are Floridians. I'm a native Californian, and Clint is from Arizona. Wow. But, nice. and, you know... We'll be Floridians. Yeah. yeah, Clint deals with uh, venomous snakes regularly. It's not really Whatever. an alligator. Um, but, yeah, Whatever. no. Yeah. So we, we, start, we start slapping this Trinity. alligator's tail uh, for a couple minutes in order to make sure that everyone can get back safely. And luckily everyone did. The alligator did not really go after us. And we were all able to safely get back into the vehicle. I believe our advisor's wife started going at him for this. Like, why would you put everyone in so much danger? You didn't have to go to that side. There were alligators in the water. Don't go near alligators. All this sort of thing. And it's just like, this is one of my first field outings. This was the first field outing <laughs> with the two undergrads in tow. And they, they both, Andy did an amazing job. He held his own in between alligators and Crystal was, you know. She never she, left the lab ever again. She did. No, she, she left the lab. She just never left the Could truck. You? Yeah, she never left the truck uh, for the rest oh, of that no. outing. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, don't, I don't blame her. Oh. Here's my question, guys. Like, that was a great question, introduction to Texas. We survived with all limbs, though. Why don't you just throw rocks at the alligator's tail instead of, like, actively being right there in his face? Because an alligator because could outrun a human very so, easily. Come on, Kathleen. Uh, throwing so, rocks at a gator is just inhumane. 
Yeah. You gotta slap that. You just gotta <laughs> slap, it. slap it around. Uh, we're herpetologists. I mean, you, if you, the if you're dealing, chivalry demand it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you know the, like it was just little tiny pebbles that were around it. Those wouldn't have alligator wouldn't have noticed those. You had to put some force into it. But also, oh. he can say that he slapped an alligator now. I can. I think that's the take home. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Slapped an alligator, yeah. got to got to yeah. hear them bellow in person, not like three feet in front of us. That was exciting times. Um, I've, uh, it was a good I've day. Heard them, I've heard them do that as I'm walking over top of them, like on a boardwalk. That's fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I yeah, like, oh, I was like, like, yeah, I was going to say, like, we're, we're talking about throwing rocks at gators and slapping them around and then walking on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> Florida. Did, it's just how you get places. Uh, I did work at Gatorland. <laughs> a very, yeah. a very quick follow-up. We went back to that site around the end of my tenure down in Texas, and we actually did come across some babies that were probably from whatever mating event. Let me catch them. Now, did you want to crawl into a little cave full of baby alligators? Yes. Uh, Who doesn't though? But I the was mom would come back, and then she, she was in the cave. Would... I was going to catch one of the babies when they were not in the cave, and Evan wouldn't let me. Uh, because the baby can shriek, and then the mom can hurry up, run out of that cave, and outrun you so quickly. But on, not uh, the other people that I was with. I'm just going to trip them. It's fine. I have a plan. Just... Okay. Just run in zigzags. Okay, just so run in zigzags. Unless you're in the Texas true, Thorn Scrub. Alright, so just run in zigzags. Uh, I I feel I feel audience, mildly just attacked. Just run in zigzags. Here. No, audience, do not run in zigzags. It's not true. It will eat you. <laughs> it will run straight. You will not. Survival uh, well, of the fittest. I'm helping it out. I'm helping the process along. Oh my god. I have to say, everybody, thank you so much. That's hilarious fieldwork stories. A little bit scary, you know, some people may have almost been eaten by an alligator, or I myself may have almost had some serious problem with the police, but we all know it might... be fine. It's fine. It's true, or you might have had a, a poo fountain in your face. You know, it could be worse. Or a poo fountain in your face. Exactly. Wow. Like, I mean, it's I watched fine. the Pelican get lassoed, so I think I'm the real yeah. winner here. That's, that's a pretty classic Texas. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> But like all in all, really, most scientists have some hilarious fieldwork stories. That's and really so if, wrong. Yeah. All the time. If any of you have fieldwork stories, please, um, we have a Facebook account now. It's called the Graduate Psychom. Please hop on there, give us a quick post about your own fieldwork story or fieldwork fail, or if you don't work in the field, if you're not a scientist, maybe you even have just a funny story from the office. You know, we all have hilarious stories. Co-workers are just hilarious humans. So, you know, it's true. toss in some stories. Are they even real, though? Co-workers? Are they real? Yeah, are, are they real? Are they even, like, real people? Um, that's a talk, that's a talk for another podcast, I think. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> They're all real people. Respect other people, all right? We're all equal. Anyways. Um... And gators. And if you see any gators, don't throw rocks at it. Slap that thing around a little. Yeah, slap that thing. <laughs> Don't listen to him. Do not listen to him. Slap it around and run away in zigzags. Oh, man. All right. Don't listen to Al. It's been great having you. That's all the the time we have for this episode. And stay classy now. 
Yeah, and just a quick reminder. <laughs> That's how you're gonna end the mistake classy now? <laughs> no, I can't condone that. I can't condone that. Well, then you say something. I don't. I can't. Now I'm, all I want to say is <laughs> stay classy. <laughs> Uh, we need to think of a good sign-off, though, I think, you know? Well, thank we you, everybody.